Come on. Strong, the powerful Michelle Tinsley has returned to Lifeblood. Welcome back, Michelle. Thanks, George. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, excited to have you back. Michelle is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Go Yellowbird. She's an investor, a director, advisory board member. Michelle, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. So after 26 years in corporate with Intel, I decided to kind of break out on my own, started a consulting practice and quickly realized it's a lot of hard work and you're always looking for the next customer. So I pivoted, so to speak. And after eight years of angel investing, decided I want to be a leader in a startup. Um, And I've been fueled by the amount of progress and growth that happens in a startup, both with the business, but also personally. Um, so I've just really enjoyed building up our company with Michael, and uh, we're now in our well into our second year and really enjoying it. Outside of work, I have uh, two boys and a husband that we love to do active sports together, hiking, mountain biking, and basically traveling when we can. Nice. Well, so many different exciting things to talk about. I mean, because you, you spent 20-plus uh, years with, with Intel. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, in a variety of functions. So I was one of those weird people that moved around. I did finance, I was a general manager, I was in product. And then um, the last year I moved into sales. So I got to try out a lot of Mm -hmm. different functions. So do you think that that really well prepares you for startup life or is it nothing like that at all? Um, it did in a way in that you learn a lot of different functions. So you you, um, learned, I, I said it's, you're experimenting and you're you're keeping one thing the same, which is like the domain experience part of the company. For me, I spent over 15 years in the Internet of Things. And so I really got to know the customer base, the industry, how things worked. And therefore, I could change up, you know, the day to day. Was I the one proving business plans and setting the strategic direction? Was I writing the business plans um, or was I off selling? You know, all those things, we kept the domain experience and the customer base the same. What's different is in a startup, there's just no structure. So um, day in and day out as a leader, I, I need to decide where am I going to spend my time because that's my most precious resource. And as chief operating officer, I wear a lot of different hats. So, you know, it may be payroll for the first hour in the morning, uh, HR hat. Then I go into financial mode because we're closing the books and reviewing what the accountants are sending us. And then it's a strategy session. Then it's people management. Then it's customer Um, you know, triage, you know, working with what's happening there, looking at how our sales is working, marketing lead gen efforts, maybe we have a marketing campaign on the way, and then do we do some networking or a virtual event? So the variety and the just figuring out how to get stuff done is is really, to me, what fuels me in this because uh, like we're, we're looking now at expanding to a second country and I was telling somebody over the weekend this and they, from Intel, and they said, well, how do you know? You know, Who tells you? And I said, nobody tells you. You just have to research it and figure it out. And phone a friend or an expert, you know, like an accountant or a lawyer in this space, and um, just get it done. You know, there's no there's no appendix or manual where you can go look this stuff up and just follow it. Yeah, I think that that's fascinating. How do you know? Like, well... <laughs> You don't necessarily. It's just, just fundamentally there's not really a right answer to the question. 
Exactly. And it's being okay with, you know what, I went down this hole and it's not going to pan out. Let me back up and, and, you know, retrieve a different path and, and try that angle. Do you think that, so you just, you, you, you have a, a lifetime of, of, of experience and, and therefore wisdom that you've, you've been able to sort of, sort of up, obviously obtain and training and and learnings and everything else so when you are having all these things thrown at you and you are sort of for lack of a better term going through a decision tree of this is what I'm going to be focusing on and this is what I'm going to set aside for later how do you how do you go through that process is it totally just just innate at this point well, I do. I'm a bit, I love lists. I'm a planner um, by personality. Um, and what I do do is I have, you know, usually 10, 20 things on my big list of things I'd like to get to. Lately, as we're staffing up the business more, I'm starting to look at what, what are these things that I personally need to do and which of these could I um, give to somebody else on the team to work? And maybe they've not ever done it before, but I can coach them through it. And now in the future, they can do it over and over again. Um, so we have a summer intern uh, who's a financial degree uh, from ASU. He's ha- entering his senior year in the fall. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to teach him how to do our invoicing of customers. And that way, when I take my vacation for a week, he can take over and have you know, a second pair of eyes look him over before he hits send. But at least I now won't be the only one at the company doing customer invoices. So, so things like that where you go, okay, I don't personally need to long-term be doing this every time. Um but then there are some things like, you know, preparing and running this, the company strategy session that, yeah, that's pretty core to my job. Um, and, you know, looking around at other startups and what models people have used and, uh, you know, always challenging ourselves. Are we doing enough? Are we learning from the lessons that we have? No, by God, no, we're not perfect. But um, can we at least document the learnings we're getting and make sure we don't you know, repeat the same mistakes second time? Do you... It's a it's a curious thing to me uh, hear about how so many entrepreneurs just really love to to solve problems and get things done, and so that therefore they end up doing way too much. Do you like doing, or does it come natural to delegate, or is it just that you recognize this is essential? Yeah, I do love doing. That's I mean, I tell <laughs> folks, you know, at the end of a week, I go to write our week. We still do like kind of a weekly synopsis of what got done. Um, I just love, you know, the feeling of what we got accomplished this week is, I always joke, more than a month or a quarter of what I would have done in corporate um, because we do have fewer meetings. We, you know, we, we have time, and especially I did learn this at Intel, if I know there's something on my plate, like right now I'm going through some financial what-if modeling um, in preparation for our Series A raise next, you know, later in the year, uh, we want to see different varieties of revenue ramps, cash flow scenarios, margin assumptions, that kind of thing. Well, I need some time. So I'm going to just go block my calendar for two to four hours to really just have that immersive time that I can get into that. And then again, save the file of different, you know, um, you know, scenarios and then go back and review them with our CEO and say, which of these feels about right. But you, you knowing that you you have to block that time out to really make sure that you don't get taken over by the tyranny of the urgent. Cause yes, every, I leave every night and there's you know, 20, 30 emails that I didn't get to yet. <laughs> so there's, I said, if you manage your life by having an empty inbox, well, you'd never go home, you know, you'd never sleep. So it, it's just really figuring out which of these are the most critical and can I get to 
that knowing that again, a lot of times our customers are much larger companies. They're going to be patient because they they are operating at a, a slower pace, quite honestly. And so we do like to delight them and kind of have always, you know, if we're playing tennis, we're hitting the ball back and it's sitting on their side for five minutes before it comes back over to us. And, and we like it that way because we want to be kind of the responsive company. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. So in terms of that, of there's just always going to be a limitless number of things and more things coming your way, and this concept of, of having, I don't want to call it balance, but just having some kind of a work-life balance, if that's a thing, I'll just ask the question, is that a thing? And how, how, how do you think about that? I think, you know, it's never even parts. Um, it's not like, well, I'll spend 25% of my time on self-care and 25% on the family and 25% on work and, um, you know, 25% on hobbies or whatever the other it may be. It's more the some weeks, you know, the kids need you. Like we last week had two nasty grams from my older kid's teacher because he's not doing great in school because he's lackadaisical about turning in his assignments. So, you know, to us as parents, we had to have the sit down. And so there was more mental time and energy focused on the kids and getting them back on track and this last push, you know, to finish junior high um, than, you know, basically me working in the evenings. But I will, you know, leave work at, say, 4, 35 o'clock to go home and make a real dinner. You know, I call real dinner, you know, cooking from scratch, you know, not just microwaving leftovers, but knowing that I likely only do that two nights a week and then we'll do leftovers the other nights and then. Um, you know, so you flex and you figure, okay, if there's urgent things that needed to get done today, I'll do them, you know, at seven, eight o'clock at night after. So you, you just trade things off. I think as you get more advanced in your career, you're more okay with just making those priority calls. I think earlier in the career, I mean, I remember very early on in my days at Intel worrying about, could I get off of work to go see my sister's cross country track meet? And, you know, nowadays I kind of chuckle at that because I go, they wouldn't have cared. You know, they, again, as long as you get the work done, that's the litmus test. But being used to hourly working jobs where you're clocking in and clocking out, that was just very nerve wracking to me that I'd leave work a few hours early one day knowing that I'd make it up elsewhere. Um, and so, yeah, I think what's been interesting with the pandemic is with zero travel practically, um, there has been more of this time to just time to think, time to really do the more intensive projects, you know, spring cleaning at home, whatever you want to call it, because you're not stuck in an airport, you know, reading your Kindle for two hours that you didn't plan on. Right. Um, and so that's been kind of the joy of it. The bummer has obviously been not seeing folks, you know, in person, and now some of that's starting to come back. So, you know, looking at there will be in the future more time for this in-person networking, in-person socialization. And, and from the business perspective, I go, yay, maybe some return to in-person sales and the kind of traction that you get with building new customer relationships. So when you get a nasty gram from your kid's school and it says that, that your son is not turning in his assignments, do you shake your fist at, at your husband? Because you don't seem like the person that wouldn't have been turning in assignments and in school, Michelle. Yeah, um, you know, this is, again, I go, you get bits of every parent. And I'm not going to say it's, oh, Alan, but Alan is less of a planner than me. He's more of the, things will come together. You know, he was the guy that crammed in school and got the paper done eventually. But, um, you know, my son's a bit like that. And I think just to, he's into the, well, who cares about grades? You know, they're just a letter on the card. And I said, well, you can feel that way in junior high, but, you know, high school's a few months away and it counts towards college. So, 
Um, you know, your if your GPA is truly not great. I mean, this one, one class was an F, and I was like, my big frustration was he has so much aptitude and capability. If he truly was trying and he was, you know, getting an F because he truly was failing because he wasn't learning, I would have been there to help him. It, this was more the, this is ridiculous. You should be getting an A in this class because, you know, it, it was English. I was like, this is right. the only non-advanced class you have that was supposed to be, quote, the easy class in your schedule to, you know, so that we balance things out. And here you're practically <laughs> failing it because you're, you know, like practically asleep in the class. And so um, let's be more, you know, in work life, I told him, man, I can't just, oh, well, turn in something to a customer a week later um, and say, oops, you know, I forgot to do the last mile of hitting send on my email. To you. Uh, that that would not work. You know, we wouldn't have that customer. And so, you know, it's a little bit of let him sink a little bit now, knowing that, again, the grades aren't that important in junior high, but he's got to start building the study habits that are going to keep him through high school and college. It's just the most humanizing thing in the world, I think, having kids and going through this exercise. So. Yeah, I mean, literally, and with online learning, of course, they changed everything. So it would be uh, like, okay, right. I loaded it to Google Docs, but I didn't hit save. And so it's like, well, the teacher didn't save see it then. And so, you know, you got to do the very last step. you got to, you know, double check. And it's, just, it's starting to build into him that um, kind of feedback loop for himself and then also teaching him how to advocate for himself with the teacher, ask the first line of questions. You don't want mom and dad getting involved in writing the teacher back right away. You want to first go have a discussion with the teacher and, and say, how can I do better? Yeah. Amen. So you, you mentioned that you're uh, going to be starting or going for the series a round later this year. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, as a brand new startup, obviously, we're ramping up our revenues. What what actually, you know, grows quickly at the beginning is the expenses, because you're starting to hire the team that can go do the execution and start scaling, especially for us um, under Anthony, uh, our chief product officer, we have a lot of developers coming on board and, you know, working on scaling out our platform. Well, with that increase in cost comes an increased cash burn. And so, you know, we look at it and go, we're fine right now, but you, you can project, you know, six, 12 months down the road, we would be running out of cash. And so you, you know, as a company have to plan ahead and, and look at, okay, when do we think that might happen? Now let's back it up six months and start raising that next round of funding. And with Series A means we're, we're moving from um, a convertible note, which is a debt instrument, to something that's equity. And so we'll now have price shares of the company. Um, and we'll be working largely with a different set of investors. This will be probably more like bigger angel groups, uh, family offices, and or VC firms. And so uh, it, it will be more diligence. You know, the initial round first that we did in uh, early 2020 was a friends and family round, very little due diligence, because honestly, it was either people who bought into our vision and where we wanted to go as a company and the very early days of revenue traction. Um, now the current round we're in is a seed and we're, we're wrapping that up and it's essentially, they're seeing the revenue scale, the valuation makes sense. There's some light due diligence, but nothing super heavy. I think as we get into series A, it will be a lot more, you know, diving into our metrics, looking at our acquisition costs of both sides of the platform and saying, you know, can this thing scale to 10, X what we're doing today and if so, what kind of investment does that require? What kind of market size is there to go after? And what kind of market share could we achieve? 
because at the end of the day, these investors are going to want to return. And um, we have to give them that story of both the vision and the heart and the passion of where we're going, but also they're going to want to someday get, you know, five to 10 X other their return out of this business. Nice. And how did you uh, learn about all, all of this fundraising? So that's, yeah, that's where the angel investing comes in. So I started eight years ago, um, largely because I always had tucked away in my back of my head a, um, a piece of advice I got in college from my advisor um, in my sorority. She said, Michelle, someday don't make this, this mistake that I did, which was I, I failed to invest in this company. The founder came to me, wanted $3,000 to start making shoes on a waffle iron. And I thought it just sounded like such a stupid idea. So I said, no, it was Phil Knight. It mm. was Nike. And to this day, I'm, I'm killing myself that I didn't, you know, uh, invest. And so she said, when you become a successful business person someday, think of investing in the startups because that's both where the real wealth appreciation is, but also it's very rewarding because you're helping these early stage companies with your business experience and your advice. So I just filed that away and, um, as I moved to Arizona and it became a general manager at Intel, I thought, okay, I should start thinking about five, 10 years down the road. Where do I see myself? I don't want to be at a corporate until I'm 65, you know, re retiring to where then I'm really just sitting by a pool. I want to retire young. And in my mind, it was serve on boards and do angel investing. And as I started networking, um, actually it's Kathy Lynn Culotta, who's a golden seeds angel here in Arizona. She said, well, Michelle, don't wait until you retire, you could be doing angel investing now. And I said, really? I thought I'd have to be writing million dollar checks and I'm not in that ballpark. And she said, no, no, no. Um, a lot of these angel groups, you know, they, they want you to invest maybe 25,000 a year um, into this space. And um, there's many groups, let me introduce you. So she introduced me to Jim Golka, who runs the Arizona Tech Investors Group. And what we invest in is tech. So it could be Internet of Things, it could be software, it could be medical tech, uh, medical diagnostics we've seen, um, even biohealth, uh, but it's all science. And so we've seen drones, we've seen, you know, lots of SaaS platforms, but it's fun because you see the variety of innovation that's happening. I would say over half the companies we look at are Arizona-based. Um, the other half come from national other groups, other angel groups that syndicate. And um, again, we, we take the best of the best that come through our selection process. Uh, we've invested in companies as far away as Nova Scotia uh, and lots of locals. And so what I look at it and say you learn how to value a company, what's important as an investor, because you're using your own money. Um, being part of a group, what it enables us to do is put in smaller bites so we can go as small as $5,000 into one particular company. But what we teach people is you build up a portfolio then. So my husband and I, being eight years in now, have pieces of 15 startups. And we've already had one good exit, which was uh, Campus Logic. We got purchased off the cap table by their Series B investor. We got 6x what we put in. Um, and then we've had two fail that we just literally write off the investment. It went to zero. And then we've had a few base hits, uh, which is where we got just a little bit more than our money back. Um, and so you look at how's the overall portfolio performing because nobody's that good. Uh, but, you know, as a, as a couple, we are kind of learning which ones did we see, you know, like with the campus logic, it was a no brainer because we love the founder, Greg Scoresby is an amazing guy, very talented. 
great leader. He was building up a dream team. And what they're doing is reinventing the way financial aid is handled. And so there's a very clear value proposition for the universities and the students. Um, and there's no one else doing what I was doing. So, so we kind of went, that's, that's a great investment. Um, we have others that we're equally excited about. And then there's some where you're like, I'm kind of confused what they're trying to do and they're pivoting and they're kind of floundering. And so you just kind of go, oh boy. So as an angel, do you, you know, we get updates every, I'd say at least every quarter, um, sometimes more like once a year deep dive and give them advice or help or, you know, offer them customer suggestions, introductions, so that, again, you try to make your investment successful. So we're more active investors than, say, a, a passive um, institutional investor later. Awesome. <clears throat> what a cool experience. And, you know, certainly commend you for being so proactive and thoughtful about moving or becoming the general manager at Intel and then looking ahead at what you wanted your career to look like. And here you are making it happen. So I think that that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that's so why I said, you know, looking backwards when I was in my very first job, I, I remember the first week on the job, I had to learn how to use a mouse because in college, all I'd use was DOS. This is how old I am. DOS-based computers. <laughs> <clears throat> no windows or anything like that. And when I got to Intel, they were like, oh, good Lord, you know, first just, just go in the corner and learn Excel because I was used to Lotus and use a mouse. Uh, I went from that, you know, to 10 years later being um, helping integrate a billion-dollar acquisition in Denmark uh, and teaching that CFO how to be a controller at Intel. And uh, I would have never dreamed that I could have had that amount of learning and progression and so I just look at that and say, that's, as we bring on new people at Yellowbird, we say, that's what we want is that lifelong learning that hopefully you're doing a job five years from now, you never thought you could do. You're, you're doing things that are really stretching you, but you keep doing that day in and day out, year after year, you're going to be doing some pretty amazing gymnastics. I love it. Well, Michelle, the people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? I think, you know, I tell people, be your own best mentor, um, meaning have that self-talk be positive and, again, set goals that you're looking to achieve that might scare you, but um, you're going to really learn as you go through trying to achieve those goals. Well, I think that, that is great stuff that definitely gets Come on. Come on. Michelle, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. Um, as as well as just in the startup scene here in Arizona. And I'm always open for a Zoom coffee or in-person coffee. So yeah, just reach out. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Michelle your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. You can find her on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and um, I will list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks Sounds again. Good. Thanks again, Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, George. Yeah. Talk to you soon. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.